welcome to pratidwani where we try to humanize science i'm your host gv pawan kumar it is my pleasure to introduce you to my guest on this episode jasjeet singh bagla jasjeet is a astrophysicist and he works on uh, topics related to cosmology he's a professor uh, in the department of physical sciences at the indian institute of science education and research mohali in this uh, episode we discussed about his biography and his career trajectory and the conversation was also related to how he got interested in science specifically in astronomy and astrophysics while growing up in uh, agra and delhi uh, he, we also discussed some interesting aspects related to his exposure to laboratory physics and advanced physics how he developed interest in uh, uh, various aspects of astronomy and astrophysics we also have an elaborate discussion about his uh, phd stint at uh, ayuka pune where he worked with uh, the famous uh, uh, cosmologist and astrophysicist t padmanabhan whom we all know as paddy and uh, jasjeet uh, gives us a an overview of uh, how it was working with uh, a very reputed and very well known scientist who was not only deeply committed to science but also science education then we expand on the discussion uh, on uh, jasjeet's experience in working at uh, institute of astronomy at cambridge university and at uh, harvard smithsonian um, uh, center in the harvard university and uh, his move to uh, harishchandra research institute and subsequently to icer mohali where he is currently employed as a professor uh, we discussed about his work on n body simulation in the cosmological context and specifically uh, we learn about how he thought about that particular pa- problem and what is the background to that particular area of research jasjeet uh, is also deeply committed to science education and has as he mentions he is intrigued by the process of learning and we discuss about his motivations and uh, why and how he values uh, science education there is also a very nice segment uh, in punjabi where he describes about his research and motivations do listen in it's uh, very interesting essentially we did a deep dive on uh, not only research in science especially in astrophysics and astronomy but also it was a very interesting discussion on uh, learning mentorship and uh, its combination with uh, research i really valued the conversation uh, and it was an excellent experience for me because i learned a lot and i am very sure uh, a lot of you would also benefit uh, by listening to jasjeet so this is pratidwani where we try to humanize science with jasjeet singh bagla uh, jasjeet welcome to pratidwani thank you thank you pavan for the opportunity to have a chat with you i have listened to some of your podcasts and they are wonderful yeah uh, my pleasure my pleasure so jasjeet give us an overview of uh, how you became interested in science uh, where you grew up what was your upbringing and give us a kind of an overview of that please yeah so i was uh, born in agra uh, my parents were essentially refugees from uh, western pakistan uh they had been holidaying in dehradun when partition was announced and they never went back and wow uh, <laughs> that's amazing okay <laughs> that's and, amazing uh, okay then uh, they were shunted to agra uh, essentially city folk were pushed to cities they were not allowed to stay in uh, punjab area and uh, people who were from farming background were given farmland in punjab and then in other places once punjab became full yeah so uh, my grandparents uh, settled in agra and i was born there 
spent about first four or five years over there. And uh, when I was close to five, my father got a job in Delhi and uh, we moved there. Much of my education, uh, primary, secondary, higher education was in Delhi or around Delhi. Uh, for some reason, we kept on moving houses and I kept on moving schools uh, mm-hmm. quite frequently, which meant that uh, I didn't have a very strong bond with any place or any school for a long time. But uh, at the critical time, which is you know getting into middle school and so on, I happened to be in schools which had uh, good libraries and good labs. And mm-hmm. uh, that provided an opportunity to read things, to play around with things in labs, do things in lab. And uh, Delhi has this wonderful place called Balbhavan, where mm-hmm. uh, you can go and learn different skills. They also happen to have a great library. So I spent one entire summer uh, going there. Through all of this, uh, gradually, I developed an interest in science. I was still in school. I remember I was uh, seeing the sights of New Delhi with some school friends. And uh, we had first gone to Railway Museum. Then we went to Murthy House. As we were entering the Murthy House, uh, we saw that a planetarium had been set up. Nice. And uh, we walked across and they said that, you know, it's uh, the show is uh, over now and next show is after three hours. But there was a small poster saying that, you know, the next meeting of the Amateur Astronomers Association will be on Sunday at such and such time. So I had to go back and look, look up what amateur means. I knew what an astronomer is, but I didn't know what an amateur is. So I landed up and uh, got hooked up in astronomy at that stage. And, Wonderful. Uh, Wonderful. And this was... Uh, about a year, year and a half before Comet Haley came along. So that mm-hmm. was something to anyway keep us hooked. Uh, then on to college, I managed to sustain the interest. There was a lot of uh, a very good mentorship from uh, people at the planetarium and a lot of learning amongst peers uh, within the Amateur Astronomers uh, Association. At uh, college, there was very good atmosphere in the sense that uh, teachers were always very keen to Uh, give time, discuss questions, encourage us to explore things. And around the same time, a new center had been set up in the university called the Center for Science Education and Communication. Mm -hmm. So what it was, was basically a place where you could go, hang out, do things, and uh, explore whatever you wanted to explore. And there were students coming from different colleges. There were professors coming from different departments, different colleges. You could interact with them. Choose what you want to do. And I spent enormous amount of time over there and mm-hmm. uh, learned how to do uh, programming properly over there and uh, also developed my interest in astronomy further. They had a few telescopes which were left over from, uh, I think they were left over from Vigyan Jatta in the uh, mm. 1980s. And uh, I, my bachelor's uh, uh, thesis was on repeating Romer's experiment for measuring the speed of light. Which is wow, done, okay. Jupiter. Uh, you measured yes. it from the Jupiter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I repeated that. <laughs> and, wow. Uh, that, that was a bit of an adventure. At the end Fantastic. of my bachelor's, I got an opportunity to go to the first summer school organized by Ayuka and NCRA in Pune for uh, students. And that was a wonderful exposure. I got to meet a lot of people, listen to a lot of people. And formally learn more about astronomy for the first time, Mm. in some sense. Mm. Mm. 
managed to maintain the interest through masters with the help of a few friends and uh, mentors. And at the end of masters, I applied for PhD programs in astronomy. Uh, finally joined Ayuka Pune, where uh, we had one year of coursework and uh, then uh, research work. Uh, spent about four, four and a quarter years over there. So I worked with uh, Padmanabhan and uh, uh, also managed to work a little bit with other people uh, like Varun uh, uh, Sahni, Professor mm-hmm. Narlikar, and uh, interact with many, many more. Many, many more. Wonderful. Well, so, uh, yeah, one yeah. one of the issues I am uh, interested. We will surely come to the Ayuka part in, in slightly greater detail. But right. I would also want to uh, kind of you know open this part of your education in Delhi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Delhi is a very active city in terms of a lot of things happening in addition to science, uh, yes. but also the fact that uh, there are people coming from all different backgrounds yes. and also coming together. Uh, to do science and not only science, even other activities, you know, social sciences is also a very strong point of Delhi. Um, given the fact that you also had your upbringing in Agra and then, uh, you know, also moving to Delhi and uh, getting educated there, yeah. how was the kind of uh, education system then? What was your general experience? Uh, for example, science education, how was, how was that? Just paint us a picture about uh, so, it, if I talk about school education, then uh, I was in a fairly basic kind of a school. Uh, mm, I remember mm. our fees was in uh, single digit uh, yeah, in rupees. Yeah. And uh, so, we had uh, good qualified teachers who were keen to train us. And very interestingly, the school had very good labs. Mm. What they did not have was any lab assistants, which meant that we were free to do what we wanted. Whatever, exactly. Well, yeah. No, yeah. students had to volunteer to maintain the lab and mm. uh, keep things going. And that gave additional experience. Mm. And uh, having labs meant that we were actually doing a lot of things in school, which nowadays I find undergraduates do it only once they enter a college. Yes. And uh, so I, I find it surprising that many of these things have been uh, pushed back. There were a lot of activities, although not in the school where I was, mm-hmm. but uh, through the planetarium, I got to know many people. I uh, started going to British Council uh, Library, to USIS, Russian Center, mm-hmm. and so on. So, and all of them used to organize activities of different kinds. And of course, yes. through the planetarium, we knew about many lectures, many visitors. That helped a lot because, you know, it, it gave you an idea of what people were doing and what were the interesting things which were going on in different parts of uh, India. And also a little bit about where was research going on in India. Hmm. Because hmm. otherwise, in the kind of school I was in, I don't think I would have heard anything about uh, any research at all. So it, it is through those openings that uh, we heard a lot. Uh, I think I've said it a couple of times, but I want to emphasize it again. Mm. The opportunity to do a lot of hands-on work in labs in school, mm. that was wonderful. Wonderful. Okay? That's very, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So uh, given the fact that uh, you were affected in some way, indirectly with the partition aspect of it, especially your family, I, I, yeah. I, I assume, uh, had... Did that have any effect on uh, your your kind of you know settling in 
the kind of uh, issues you may had to face as a family uh, during that time or things were reasonably okay uh, how was that uh, well, situation uh, my family went through many ups and downs and mm-hmm. uh, my father uh, he had to start working as soon as he finished his class 10 Mm-hmm. he worked in a, a shoe factory in agra as an mm-hmm. in the administration as a clerk to begin mm-hmm. with and then moving his way upwards he continuing studied stu- his studies mm-hmm. and uh, eventually he qualified to be a company secretary so his, his later nice. jobs in delhi were of uh, that kind uh, but the difficult times also meant that his siblings essentially had mm-hmm. to scrounge around and look for work in various places so gradually the family dispersed from agra my okay. Un- okay. uncles settled in uh, got jobs in jaipur and they settled there uh, mm-hmm. aunts mm-hmm. also kind of moved around uh, after marriage to different places so gradually the family dispersed but it's clear that there were some very hard times yes, yes. some reasonably good times uh, having had to work from a very young age uh, my father had the attitude that i should get an opportunity to explore what i want Mm-hmm. so they did not have much knowledge about science or astronomy mm-hmm. or what i was thinking of doing or what i am doing but uh, they 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 were always open to giving me a free hand giving me encouragement mm-hmm. and opportunity to explore what i want to do yeah. nice very nice very nice so uh, i assume uh, the kind of environment in which you grew up also had kind of uh, you know at least if not directly indirectly there would be some kind of a support for kind of scientific way of looking at things right was that generally part of the uh, uh, kind of ecosystem in which you grew up or it was not a central no, part of no, not 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 at all mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. most people were essentially trying to encourage their kids to do something which will get them a well paying job or well paying some, exactly. some, regu- some regular job as soon as possible absolutely absolutely till my class 12 i had uh, not really heard of iits mm. as a place mm. where science is done yes okay yes. so right. i yeah. i never thought of you know pursuing je seriously for mm. the simple reason that uh, i wanted to do science and nobody told me that there is science in iits as science. well absolutely you're absolutely right in fact even as late as uh, 15 years ago this was actually right. kind of a notion i've heard a lot of people even when i was join, joining icer for example as a faculty member right. very few students knew that there is also a bit of science quite a little a lot of science going on of course things right. have changed drastically from yeah. from then and yeah. uh, things so one of the aspects which again i'm going to uh, uh, come back to that particular aspect where you also have uh, you know deep interest in science education yes. uh, which is a very important part of the, the thing uh, related to not only just education but even the the whole uh, societal aspect it plays a critical role was there any kind of uh, uh, seed which was kind of sown during that uh, that time where it motivated you to uh, take this up as an important thing or was it something you thought a little later uh, as you progressed into your career uh-huh. this interest kind of started during the phd time mm. uh, and uh, professor darlicker was very keen that ayuka yeah. be very seriously involved in outreach activities and uh, he started this program where school students 
typically class six, seven, eight, they would come and spend a week at Ayuka, and everybody in the academic uh, family had to mentor at least one group of students. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. group being uh, five students. Mm. So we were mm. almost caught unawares in our first summer because yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't know what was coming. Coming, we had no <laughs> idea of how to deal with this or how to interact with students at that level. Uh, but we made an effort. I was given two groups because I could speak Hindi. And mm, there nice, was a shortage right. of uh, mentors who could interact with the students who knew Marathi and a little bit of Hindi. Yeah, Hindi. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, sl- talking to them, trying to figure out what kind of a project to give them and trying to understand where they were. That is where this interest initially started. Interesting. And uh, Professor Nalika himself used to set up a very great example by taking at least four or five groups of students. Mm. One Mm. very interesting uh, incident was Ayuka has this focal pendulum. Yes, 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 of course. So uh, the first project which he gave to his school students was to measure the precession period. Mm. Mm. It came out wrong. Okay. okay. Uh, then they figured out that the uh, magnetic driving which is done uh-huh. was uh, imparting a torque. Torque. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then, then, then that got fixed. So th- that mm. was the lesson in the sense that nice. you know, something very basic like just a measurement and trying to connect it up with the theory which the students may not understand at that point. Understand. That itself is instructive not only for them but also for us. Because uh, you, you begin to understand what all things can go wrong. Yeah, uh, through absolutely. those summer programs over the three, four summers that uh, I was there, I gradually began to get a, at least get a clear notion of what science education in schools was like, mm-hmm. which was actually quite different from what my experience had been. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I also saw that the students had an enormous amount of interest in science. Absolutely. The kind of questions which they ask, particularly younger ones, uh, they, they can uh, re- really stump you. And uh, nice. uh, that helped. Professor Nalikar also set an, a, another very interesting example. Two things. One is, if a school student wrote to him, he will always write back. Later. Yeah. Okay. Later on, we learned that many school students used to write to him so that they could get his autograph. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, the other was that if any school invited him for a talk, mm. he will always go. Always go. Always go. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, no matter what. And he would never go to any function as a chief guest. Yes. Yes. Okay. So great, great uh, lessons. These were uh, <laughs> very fine examples. Yeah. Then exactly. when I came back uh, to a job in Harishchandra Research Institute, yeah. we had started a summer program for school students. This was slightly older students. Old students. Yes. And uh, this was in Hindi because it's a Hindi nice. belt. Most of the students are uh, rural areas. They do not have enough exposure to English. Mm. And that again was an eye-opener. Uh, I remember the first group which we were mentoring at that stage in HRI, the building were still coming up and we had these open plan offices. Mm-hmm. So I had interacted with kids for about two sessions in the morning. Afternoon, I was sitting in my office. 
So one of them, I think a class eight or class nine student, just came up to my cabin, knocked, entered, sat down, says, what do you do here? Tell me. <laughs> so he wanted to know what I do and how I got to be in the institute and uh, what kind of uh, things we pursue. So Wonderful, wonderful. Interactions like that have that, been, yes. uh, you know, they have triggered an interest in uh, science education because what one begins to try to understand how people learn mm. through these interactions. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that is one thing you also mentioned. You're also deeply interested in knowing how people learn, which is kind of an epistemological aspect uh, related to uh, science uh, education itself. We're going to, uh, of course, discuss a little bit more as we progress. But uh, going uh, again through the biographical aspect of it, now that you are uh, studying in Delhi and uh, it's also giving you an exposure to sciences, um, is there a specific reason why you also developed interest in physics and astronomy per se? Uh, was it because of the fact that there were a lot of interesting things happening around? Or uh, is there any other deeper kind of uh, element which also motivated you to take it up? See, by class 7, 8, I had become interested in science more than other subjects. Other subjects. That part okay. was clear. Then sometime in class 9, 8, 9, 10, I got interested in astronomy through the Major Astronomy Society, Planetarium, and then Comet Haley and stuff. And uh, at that stage, the Planetarium had a retired uh, army person as a director, Colonel J.E.S. Singh, who... Mm -hmm. uh, who was a wonderful mentor and he had been involved in astronomy for a long time. Mm. The deputy director was uh, Dr. Nirupama Raghavan. She was uh, Venu Vapu's uh, former, first student. Formerly. Wow, first student. okay, okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had uh, settled in Delhi. She went on to become the director. Mm. So between these two, they essentially said that, look, if you want to go into astronomy, then physics is the best route. Mm. Okay, so yes. that was the reason. So I didn't go from physics to astronomy. I actually went from astronomy to physics. Astronomy to physics. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. And uh, gradually developed interest in some basic aspects of physics as well. So by the time it came to PhD, I had about three or four topics, uh, short areas shortlisted. Mm. Uh, one amongst them was uh, field theory and particle physics. Mm. The mm. other was uh, experiments in gravitation. Mm. Uh, so I had through masters uh, during the general relativity course uh, we were all given term papers and one of the term papers I had was uh, uh, experimental evidence for general relativity experimental tests of oh. general relativity nice. and uh, in this I read uh, Le Souches, uh lectures by uh, Dickey Dickey, okay, okay, nice he, nice. he describes the equivalence oh. experiments how he set it up and it was absolutely amazing. 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 That was the second yes. area. Third area was uh, uh, radio astronomy. And mm. fourth was uh, cosmology. Cosmology trumped other things because in the year when I was uh, finishing my master's, Kobe first detected the uh, perturbations in CMP, fluctuations mm. in CMP. Mm. But then okay. cosmology structure formation became something very real and very uh, timely thing to do. Mm. So these were the things I was thinking of. Gravity experiments were still uh, high up in the list, but the mm. Indian facility was shut down that year 
for for four or five years. They shut it down okay. during my PhD. Then they opened it. Again. <laughs> <laughs> there was also some attempts in uh, uh, Indian Institute of Astrophysics. There was a torsion balance experiment, which was also set up, I suppose, right? There was some attempts made. No, they in, had uh, the torsion balance ex- uh, experiment in uh, Kola gold mines. Kola gold mines, yes. It's it's been run by TIFR. Uh, yes, originally, yes. it was started by Ramnath Kaushik and Shyam Tandon. Kaushik, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. when Professor Kaushik moved to I, uh, IAA in Bangalore, I think there was also a replication done of the same setup, I suppose. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. And uh, Unni Krishnan and Krishnan. Yes, these Krishnan. two people worked yeah. on that. Yeah, worked on that. Why I say this is because I did my uh, undergraduate uh, internship. So now it's called internship, but I did my summer uh, two summers at Indian Institute of Astrophysics. Ah, in fact, okay. yeah. Uh, I was doing solar physics there, the second solar spectrum and other things. In fact, uh, interestingly, my route to physics was also through astrophysics. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, we are all kind of, you know, <laughs> motivated by that. And even now, as, as I keep telling, even when I spoke to other people, uh, including particle physicists and uh, cosmologists, I keep telling that uh, it still is one of the most uh, fascinating areas. Yeah. In fact, that's a great area to really enter. Person, yeah. Right? Uh, so uh, going forward, uh, now that you have a kind of firmly uh, had a, a, a kind of an interest in your mind, uh, this would also would have influenced you to take up a master's in physics, obviously. Yes. And uh, in there, uh, uh, what was the kind of training you got? Just uh, could you let us know how? Because this is an important transition which you are making, where a slightly more rigorous training in physics is is been ta- taken up. Uh, could right. you just let us know uh, how did you go about doing that? Yeah, so uh, I had done BSc uh, Physics Honours and uh, that is one of the most rigorous programs around. Nice. Uh, this is in Delhi University. Delhi University. I was in Khalsa College. Khalsa and College. Okay. Uh, again, excellent labs, uh, mm-hmm. which helped. The core of this program, apart from the regular physics courses, is a set of courses on mathematical methods in physics. Nice. And nice. Uh, looking back and comparing with students who came from other programs into the PhD programs, I realized that this was really, really something special. And uh, it equipped us to be able to tackle physics problems without the fear of what method to use. Yes. You know? uh, we were pretty much ready to deploy any particular method for uh, any any problem. Uh, after that, the master's program was, uh, I would say, a little bit of a letdown in terms of labs, mm-hmm. because uh, in, in uh, bachelor's, our college uh, had already pro- progressed in electronics to semiconductors. We were playing around with the ICs, triple five op-amps and so on in our final year. And uh, suddenly in master's, we were given triodes and diodes. (laughs) (laughs) And we said, you know, where have we come? (laughs) It's called a regret, regression. (laughs) One uh, really fun set of experiments was in uh, nuclear physics that Uh we had not seen before. And uh, the university had had a very active group at some stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had developed very nice instrumentation uh, in, in-house. And those experiments were really good. Later on, of course, most of the people working in nuclear physics retired. And mm-hmm. that led to this tragedy of uh, 
all the lab material being auctioned off and the CCM going in that, landing up uh, in, in all the wrong places. <laughs> oh, people, man. People, okay. people die. People oh, die yeah? because of uh, radiation exposure. Radiation exposure. Okay. Yeah. So there was an uh, uh, accident that way, which happened? No, they, all, uh, the concerned people retired and all of the lab material from their labs was uh, condemned and auctioned off. So essentially, uh, Kabadiwala picked it up and mm -hmm. they didn't know what it was. Yeah, um, very sad, very sad. Yeah. Once they opened the lead containers to see what is there, mm -hmm. they, they had this uh, exposure. exposure. In fact, that is very when good. a lot of uh, regulations were set up on how set to up, handle yes. the nuclear material, the radioactive material. Like in Aisa Mohali, we have uh, uh, some material being used in biology labs. They mm, use it yes, as yeah. tracers. So we, we need to send people for trading. We need to yeah. get even the layout of the lab approved. So all of those things are done. So true, true. In we fact, did uh, have things a... like uh, uh, badges, which we had to wear whenever we were handling radioactive samples. But other than that, in our MSc, the, the kind of precautions were quite minimal. Quite minimal. Okay. So, which means that you also had a very good uh, uh, kind of training in safety protocols and other yeah. things also during that time, which is a very crucial element of uh, doing this. One more aspect I would want to touch upon is uh, the as the thing what you mentioned about getting exposed to mathematical physics, which yeah. is a bedrock of a lot of things what we do, even as an experimentalist or as a theoretical yeah. physicist. So this is a, a, a kind of a, an important element among all the students who are more inclined towards physics. That yeah. how, how should one approach mathematical physics uh, is sometimes a little tricky because uh, people who are really invested in theoretical physics seem to take that as a kind of an important element and sometimes neglect the intuitive picture aspect of it. And sometimes the experimental uh, students tend to also somehow neglect this aspect of it. Could you tell us, given that you have such a vast experience, not only as a researcher, but also as a teacher? So at uh, Aisa Mohali, we experimented with the approach that math mathematical methods will be taught in physics courses. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Same so yeah. ODEs, ordinary differential equations will be taught in classical mechanics. Uh, partial differential equations, special functions will come in uh, electrodynamics, yes, and so on. Uh, we tried that for about eight years, mm. and we found that it was not being a very uh, not very successful. successful. Okay. For the simple reason that uh, it was making the curriculum very fat, and mm. Mm. Uh, instructors were often hard pressed for time, and they will just throw results at students and move on. Yes, move on. yes. and yes. students will not take this part seriously enough. And uh, we found that students who wanted to th stay on in academia in research, they were not doing well in terms of you know net exam or test mm. exam. Mm. We had a lot of introspection, talked to students, tried to figure out what was uh, missing. And we realized that we need to add at least one or two courses on mathematical methods. So we made one, one uh, mandatory course. Others are elective. So we have elective, three courses yes. uh, over here. Uh, our mathematics department is not asked to do any service courses. So they teach mm. mathematics as mathematicians would. Same. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 
You're right. You're right. Which of course sometimes means that uh, you know they the students have done a course on symmetry and you show them a matrix and they say ye kya hai. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what, what is this? What do you mean diagonalizing matrix? Diagonalizing. Uh, yes. Yeah. So that can happen, and uh, we are not relying over here on the mathematics department to do mathematical methods or uh, uh, skill courses. We are doing that within physics. We have made one course as uh, mandatory, and we have kept two courses as electives. And we strongly recommend that any student who is going to be in theory physics do those courses. Nice. As nice. much as possible. And that this approach seems to be working out. Uh, yeah. so we have a cohort, typical cohort of 60 to 70 in physics majors over here. Yeah. And uh, around 15 to 20 students do end up taking all the three mathematical methods all courses. And it seems to be working out for them. I think yeah, we, we, have a, yeah. we have a similar kind of a thing in, at Pune. Uh, very, very similar thing. Roughly about uh, same numbers uh, and uh, same kind of, uh, you know, uh, subdivisions within the mathematical physics courses. And uh, one of the interesting aspects is also the, the computational approach towards mathematical physics has also really given a new impetus. Yes. Uh, because then you can visualize, for example, three-dimensional or in sometimes even two-dimensional, uh, you know, solutions and uh, play around with that. Uh, that probably also is the same approach, I suppose, uh, you, you folks would also be taking. Yeah. That. Yeah. So we strongly encourage use of uh, computer labs in mm -hmm. uh, regular courses. Regular courses, yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we have set up uh, three large computer labs, each with a capacity of around 60, 65 uh, terminals. Mm -hmm. And uh, any instructor can essentially book these. Uh, yes. You can even say at the start of the semester that, you know, I'm going to do one hour each week mm -hmm. in, in the lab. And you can support your courses through hands-on work, computational work, computational. Uh, visualization work. So that goes on. Uh, we have uh, two courses which are on computational methods in physics. Mm. And they go through all the basic stuff and the uh, culmination is in learning how to do simulations mm, of mm, different yeah. types. So. Types, okay, nice. So going back to your biography now, uh, yeah. so now that you, you are finishing up your master's and now making a transition to Pune. So tell us why you got interested. Of course, you are already exposed to Pune as you mentioned because of right. the uh, program you attended. Uh, what is the motivation? Uh, Without any, you know, hesitation, I should also mention that <laughs> Ayuka is one of the epicenters of uh, astrophysics and astronomy. Uh, right. Also, uh, there, there are very good people around. But tell us a little bit more about uh, what motivated you to move. Right. So, uh, during my master's, uh, particularly in the first and second semester, I had actually performed very badly in terms of marks. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, which which means that uh, my grades were pretty poor when I was applying uh -huh. for PhD programs, and uh, some of my professors uh, had to help out by writing strong mm. letters saying that you know call this person for interview and then judge. Mm. Judge about. Uh, okay. Nice. Okay. Nice. Uh, that helped because at that stage there were no national level exams. Exams. Okay. 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 So each institute would call maybe 200, 300 people and mm -hmm. uh, have a written test on the spot and then shortlist people for interviews. 
Nice. Uh, this was a uh, Bharat Darshan. So my first set of interviews were at TIFR. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. And yeah. uh, then Bangalore, where I had uh, interviews in ISC, RRI, ISC. and IIA. Yes. Uh, yes. And finally, uh, Ayuka and CRA. Nice. So nice. I got through TIFR, uh, oh. Astro, as well as uh, Physics. Then in... Uh, uh, I got through in RRI. I got through IISC Physics IIA. Hmm. I really, really liked RRI, but hmm. uh, I was a little bit uh, apprehensive about their policy of assigning a topic and a supervisor the day you step in. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and you didn't have a choice. Choice. Yeah. Okay, so that seemed a little bit uh, iffy to me, and uh, Ayuka was very, very new at that time. I had yeah, been oh, in uh, 89. 89, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, end of 88. And uh, mm. so this was 1992. Mm. I got through in both Ayuka and CRA, chose to be in mm. Ayuka, uh, partly because uh, Varun Sani and uh, Padmanabhan, two mm. leading cosmologists, were sitting there. And I had more or less made up my mind that I would be doing cosmology. Cosmology, very so nice. That very was nice. one of the reasons. Our batch was the first one to actually move into the hostel. Uh, Mm -hmm. Earlier students had lived (laughs) in uh, rented accommodation uh, elsewhere. So they were moving in as we were also moving in. Nice. Nice. uh, So we saw the transition of Ayuka from uh, uh, a small uh, hut and uh, (laughs) going going into uh, proper office blocks. So the the shifting of library, the shifting of computer center, shifting of offices, all of that happened in the first six, seven months that we had uh, over there. And uh, yeah, the overall structure of the graduate school, etc., looked uh, much more settled, even though it was a very new institute. Yeah. And uh, NCRA being nearby was also an attraction because mm-hmm. uh, during the summer school, I had interacted with a lot of NCRA faculty. At, during at that time, Ayuka only had I think about four or five faculty members when I had gone for the summer school. So most people joined later. Later, in fact, okay. In fact, uh, Padmanabha joined I think a day after I joined as a PhD student. He moved from TIFR <laughs> Mumbai at that time. Nice, so nice. It, so it was interesting to see the place coming uh, together. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mentors in Delhi University had said that look, if you want to do cosmology, go to Ayuka. That will mm-hmm. be the best place to be right now. They said that if you had gone a year earlier, TIFR may have been a good choice, but right mm-hmm. now go to Ayuka. So that, that was primarily the reason for going. Primarily the reason. Wonderful, wonderful. So now you are moving from, uh, you know, hot Delhi to a moderate Pune in terms of climate. <laughs> how was that transition? Your, your lifestyle oh. and other things, like how was it? See, one was, uh, Pune at that stage was a very, very laid back town. Laid back, yeah. yeah true, okay. True. And uh, the other thing was, uh, the monsoon in Pune is lovely. Yes. Really lovely. Yeah. And if you have that kind of a day in Delhi, you drop everything and go out. <laughs> go out. <laughs> okay. So here I was wondering, you know, day after day, weather is so nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one has to do some kind of an adjustment. And uh, yeah, it, it the so going from a big city to a very laid back place, yeah, and uh, 
in Ayuka, which was at that stage essentially on the periphery of Pune. Pune. Uh, yeah. So th- that was a very dramatic uh, and drastic transition. It took me a while to get used to that. Yeah. I was yeah. used to hustle and bustle of a big city. Yeah, big city. Uh, yeah. But yeah. gradually started appreciating how nice smaller towns, smaller cities can be. Can yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and fact, why uh, running around all the time is not a great thing. Great thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, given that it was also kind of housed inside the university, Pune University, uh, also created some some kind of an atmosphere which is already a very academic, right? Uh, I think uh, there, it still has some very interesting kind of uh, uh, you know ecosystem there. And uh, as you mentioned, which we're gonna also spend a little bit more time later, is about the the outreach, what happens there. For example, Chandrasekhar Auditorium there is like, is, is one of the biggest uh, places where students really come come together and have great time. And uh, a lot of credit should go to the people behind that, including Professor Narlikar and Professor Padmanavan, who has, you know, unfortunately is no more, but uh, the kind of contribution he has he's, um, done to not just science in India, but across the world is immense. Right. We'll discuss about that later. But uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your training at uh, Ayuka. You see, uh, how do you do? You really go into now the rigorous aspect of uh, cosmology, and you're now you know becoming a a student of uh, Padmanabhan, <laughs> who is also a master by himself. Tell us that that uh, period. Right. So uh, we had uh, four four courses uh, per semester in the graduate program. And we also had to do a graduate uh, school project. My intention was to eventually do more theoretical work. Mm -hmm. So I picked up a project with uh, Varun Sahni, which was more computational, thinking that, you know, I'll I'll get some experience of uh, computational work and that may come in handy later on. What did I know? During the coursework, uh, as Ayuka was kind of still coming together and uh, Ayuka and CRA were close, there were hardly any students. Okay, So mm. if you look at students in batches senior to us, the total student strength was five. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and our batch was six. So nice. we were the uh, gundas, so to speak. You know? <laughs> we, had, we, had, we had a big gang. Gang, and, <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we had very even good... Tarun. Tarun was around the same time, right? Tarun, no, Tarun was senior. Tarun was in the first batch. Uh, first batch. Tarun, the first batch. Uh, Devi Prasad Duari and uh, Kanti Jotania. Kanti Jotania. They were the first batch. Uh, yeah. Students from the second batch had left, and students oh, okay. from the third batch were uh, being asked to leave as we joined. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so there was also a big gap between the first batch and us because oh, the first yeah, batch was uh, well into their research by the time we joined. And uh, we had a larger group. So we, we had much more interaction amongst us and uh, with yeah. faculty members. Nice. Uh, tea time, particularly morning tea time at Tayuka used to be a great uh, thing. Mm. Everybody would come. I think that- that tradition is still there, I suppose, right? Uh, it is, but now there are so many people that so many become, people. it has become fragmented. Yeah. Earlier, everybody would sit in one large group and uh, chat. So you got to know everyone very well. And uh, yeah. you could discuss anything. It could be a cricket match. It could be 
you know, what is going on in politics, or it could be yeah. something which you have done in, uh, you are learning in the course. Of course, and, yeah. Uh, uh, we would even uh, bounce off questions which we got in assignments at tea time from various people try, trying to get tips on <laughs> how to approach it. Uh, yeah, so Paddy, uh, Varun, Kandu, Kandu would often come down from NCRA. Mm, and yeah. uh, Vivek had joined, come in from RRI, and uh, Shyam Tandon, Nalikar, mm-hmm. Naresh Dadich, Ajit Kemhavi, all of these people were there. And uh, at that stage, particularly the first year, uh, Professor Nalikar, Naresh Dadich, and Ajit Kemhavi were far more involved in construction and movement of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so academic discussions with them were less frequent as compared to others. But all the others were essentially available for uh, chats. Nice. So initial interactions were more informal. And uh, Paddy would often throw puzzles mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, at, at you. And that is how our interaction started initially. Started. Yeah. Nice. And uh, then as a part of uh, my uh, f- the first introduction to astronomy course, I did a term paper on uh, uh, absorption systems and I worked with uh, Paddy and Kandu on mm-hmm. that. So I re- read a paper with them. Uh, that, that was the first proper academic research-oriented uh, interaction with them. Uh, I think by the end of that, uh, both of us had kind of uh, decided and agreed that I will work with him. And nice. It, it was a very smooth kind of a transition. Transition. Very nice. Uh, yeah. So, g- give us uh, also a bit about uh, the kind of uh, uh, interaction you had with uh, uh, Paddy. Uh, actually, that's a short name for listeners to know about uh, T. Padmanabhan. He yeah. was very, very uh, well known as Paddy across uh, the community. And, right. you know, Aisar Pune, for example, the institution where I am. Uh, also greatly benefited because he also uh, taught a few courses here, uh, especially at the initial stages. You know, we have had very, very great uh, kind of uh, contribution from him. And uh, not only him, uh, Professor Padmanabhan, but the whole Ayuka has had a very important role. So give us a little bit about uh, a, a kind of an overview of uh, how the, how the, you know, thinking process of uh, that person was and paint us a little bit of picture of uh, of how it was uh, kind of uh, interacting with him on a slightly more rigorous kind of in a day-to-day scientific basis. Uh, right. He always had a, a very unconventional approach to things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, yes. l- later on, I realized that uh, part of it had come from uh, Hoyle. Hoyle. Fred Hoyle. Yes. So mm-hmm. Fred Hoyle uh, used to say that, you know, people are very smart. So if mm. they have been trying to solve a problem for five years and they haven't solved it, that means they are going about it the wrong way. No way. <laughs> Think of another way of uh, approaching the same problem. Same problem, yeah. And uh, Paddy also would not hesitate to provoke people in, mm, in, yeah, order, yeah. To, in order to get them thinking. Uh, I, I think my acknowledgement in my thesis was uh, thanking him for many, many thought-provoking uh, discussions. Discussions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, not, not letting on what thoughts it provoked, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
so he would always prod you and uh, challenge you and uh, he also brought in a lot of very interesting insights to any discussion so he taught us uh, half a course but uh, he was in charge of the graduate program uh, at that time when we were doing our grad school so we did have discussion with him on even formulating or reforming some of the courses uh one could go and chat to him about uh, pretty much any part of physics and astronomy yes and uh, he typically would have thought about it before you have asked him anything and he'll he'll give pointers so he'll never give you a solution but he'll give solution. you pointers yeah. and he'll see how you progress on that and uh, as i mentioned earlier he will also throw puzzles at you once he re- Uh, realizes that you you're you're fond of puzzles so he'll right. try once once or twice and if a person is interested then he'll continue throwing he'll more and more puzzles at you otherwise he'll kind of uh, switch off switch off enormous range of interests uh, enormous amount of reading so yes he's one of the few people i know who had actually read pretty much all of encyclopedia britannica wow <laughs> okay. amazing uh, so You, so he could essentially hold forth on a, a very wide variety of topics, topics and uh, always available for discussion always open for discussions he encouraged mm-hmm. us uh, to have more uh, student activities and more student run activities so there were two things which we started uh, three things actually we started very early on one was a set of uh, evening lectures which students mm. would organize and nice. uh, it had to be a blackboard lecture mm. Mm. okay so you could not use uh, transparencies or slides or anything mm. 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 Uh, the other was a set of intensive lecture courses which were also mm. run in evenings uh, nice. Nice. so we'll we'll pick a person to get them to educate everybody else starting mm. from scratch and taking up to a level where they can start reading research papers research papers okay and uh, i remember the first series was uh, by vivekanand on pulsars mm. so these lectures mm. would start at 9 pm and wow. uh, typically go on till 11 11:30 pm nice. and we'll have four or five lectures on a trot so one very intensive <laughs> week and uh, a lot of discussion discussion nice so we had a series by him we had a series by shridhar who was at uh, rli bangalore mm-hmm. on dynamics and so on and several other such series third activity which we started with him was a landau club where mm-hmm. we will pick uh, one of the 10 volumes we started with mechanics and i think over a year or so we just about finished that but nice. uh, we'll nice. take a couple of sections from there uh-huh. and have a discussion really really threadbare discussion trying discussion. to understand each and every phrase in those two sections because very often what landau will write in one line has to be explained <laughs> in, 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 with, with you know a lot of examples and references and so on. so we had these activities with him and uh, Paddy and Vasanthi also ran an open house in the sense that you could mm-hmm. land up any time and say that look, mm-hmm. give me coffee or give me doshe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very very friendly atmosphere in that sense. 
I remember in yeah. our first first year, he uh-huh. uh, gave a party. He had got some award. Uh-huh. He kept on winning lots of awards. Yeah, he, yeah, of he, course. He, he okay. gave a party, and uh-huh. uh, we built a uh, a long belt for him out of uh, <laughs> uh, dot matrix printer paper, uh-huh. and wrote a huge <laughs> wow. <laughs> so he wore it like a beauty queen <laughs> through, through that party. So we yeah. could do th- these like, things with him. And, he had a uh, great no. sense of humor. He had a yeah. wonderful sense of humor. In fact, uh, I recollect because uh, right at the beginning, as early as 2011 or something, there was a conclave for Ramanujan fellows. Hmm. You know, Paddy really lit up the whole conclave <laughs> because he gave the talk. But it was more of, you know, uh, uh, semi-autobiographical and uh, also motivational because there was some program which was kind of held. He gave one of the best talks I've ever heard. You know, he was also meticulous, right? He actually knew uh, every uh, metric <laughs> in terms of uh, his publication and other things. And he really gave us something which is very specific and he told, okay, this is what I am, I think. It doesn't mean that everybody should do that, but this is it was amazing, you know, to see somebody who has thought so deeply uh, and uh, it was quite uh, spectacular in that sense. The kind of preparation he put in for his uh, talks, articles and so on was yeah. Uh, yeah. incredible. So if he has to give a talk, uh, the slides have to be ready one week in advance, which means that oh, if you okay. are producing a plot, you need to uh, produce everything two weeks in advance. Two weeks in advance. He'll, he'll be really after you if, if you haven't done that. So. Yeah, yeah. He, he other aspects have everything very well planned. So. Planned, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. One more thing I really want to know a, a little bit more from uh, you is, you know, he was also a person who wrote a lot. You know, his scholarly work spans over such a deep and broad aspect of uh, physics, fundamental physics. Uh, kind of motivated by questions in astrophysics and even quantum uh, uh, mechanics. And even quantum information, he has done written some very beautiful things about them. Are, were you also getting that notion or did you get a kind of a, what should I say, first-hand view of this scholarly writing part of it? Because that is something which is very important for every one of us to, get, uh, to learn more about that. Yeah, so he, uh, he would basically talk about what he was doing to anyone Anyway, who, uh, who would who, who was willing to spare time? <laughs> spare time. Uh, yes, and yes. Uh, uh, in that sense, I think that there is some bit which comes from uh, Donald Lindenbell, which I'll uh-huh. describe a little bit later. So Donald yeah, also, yeah. you go to him in the morning, or he will uh-huh. come for morning coffee, and uh-huh. he, he'll look at you and he'll tell you the calculations he has done in the last twenty-four hours. Nice, uh, nice. successful, not successful where he is heading, where he wants to head, and so on. So yeah, he will yeah. hold forth. So with Paddy also, he liked to talk to people. And he was always very happy to take help from people. So nice. if nice. he was stuck in something, he mm. would ask. And he would ask everyone, from uh, summer yes. students to senior people, senior you know, I'm stuck here, can, can you help me in this? It was rare for him to get stuck for long. (laughs) He had uh, mastery over so many different uh, techniques that uh, he could do. And he was very comfortable with computational methods as well. Yes. So so in that sense, if he had an idea, 
he could typically move very very fast mm-hmm. but uh, he liked to talk to people he liked to interact with people he liked to involve people in discussions people. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, collaborations and so on uh, yeah and very very meticulous in in meticulous very so uh, before we move ahead in your career trajectory i would also want to highlight a beautiful kind of tribute uh, uh, his uh, students including uh, uh, led by jasjeet uh, uh, about a wonderful article which has been published it's called as a life and science of tanu padmanabhan uh, unfortunately he uh, uh, kind of you know is no more uh, for a very untimely kind of uh, death unfortunately uh, uh, and uh, there is a, a very beautiful uh, ending line in that article i just want to read because our uh, readers should actually know what is the legacy he has left on uh, not just his students but all of us and uh, uh, jasjeet and uh, co-authors write at, at the last sentence is you are no longer with us but you have left us with a task to carry your scientific legacy forward to that we commit and uh, then pass the baton on this is a beautiful Alright, and uh, would you want to just elaborate a little bit about this article, and then we'll move ahead. This is this is a very touching tribute, and this is a beautifully written kind of piece which puts together uh, what impact he has had as a teacher, as a mentor, as a uh, as a person uh, itself. And uh, yeah, this is truly remarkable uh, kind of a document. I would of course link it through the show notes in the references, uh, right. but uh, I would want to hear it directly from Jasjeet about this. Yeah. as i said uh, paddy was a very very intense person mm. and the uh, interactions with him could not be mild you know mm. that was simply <laughs> not possible so he uh, mentored people he saw where people were and depending on that he chose a specific approach so his approach for every phd student was different depending on what they were doing how they wanted to do it how they wanted to approach things and he typically would ask his students to read and do some things beyond their phd work yeah nice okay. uh once the phd was done and dusted he he will try to leave you to your own devices mm. but he still stayed in touch and he was happy to have discussions he essentially wanted each person to develop their own thing thing uh, yes. you know have have their own program but uh, he was always very very happy to have uh, discussions i mentioned earlier that you know if he was stuck somewhere he would ask people and uh, during covid times particularly this meant that you will suddenly receive a phone call from him mm. okay uh, in fact i had a very long conversation with him uh, two evenings running just before he passed yeah. away yeah i and, know that uh, apart from physics we were talking about how we can meet up he nice. was an adjunct professor at isa mohali and mm. he would make it a point that if he is an adjunct professor he will come at least once a year yeah, and nice. every time he will give at least one set of lectures fantastic fantastic and uh, so we were having discussions about how we can meet up and i was proposing to him that since he learned uh, he, he really loved driving long drives oh. Okay. okay why don't you drive and come then he was saying no no you you come and then we will drive back together trail <laughs> trek <laughs> yeah so, and if you went to him 
talking about the science which you were doing uh, he again would want to understand your motivation yeah. where you are headed mm. and be very very generous with the you know suggestions on what suggestions. you can try what you can do and even people you can potentially collaborate with in case he right. felt that you know you you were stuck and a little bit of push will uh, help you get across yeah and that he did with uh, each one of his students students yeah, okay? yeah. uh we after he passed away we actually had a series of uh, uh telecons online discussions yes. yeah yeah and yeah. the article was essentially an outcome of outcome. Uh, all, all of that yeah even now you know there are times when you're thinking of something and uh, there is a voice in your head goes yeah paddy would love to hear this paddy would hear that yes you know? <laughs> but then you hold back says no absolutely that is not there yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the impact uh, good teachers have right yeah and his his uh, famous uh, motto was hmm. uh, if you can't join them beat them every time <laughs> <laughs> so that that's what he was trying to inculcate in each one of us that you know you don't have to join uh, a trend or anything yeah. to do well in research do your own thing and do better than others yeah he was so prolific he was so prolific you know i i have also I means i have many of the books one thing which i like because also he wrote about history of science there was a dawn of science beautiful book also written co-authored with vasanthi uh, uh, vasanthi and uh, it's a it's a great book it's really great book he also wrote a lot in uh, resonance which is another great uh, you know a journal of uh, science education and it really brings in the history behind the topic very beautifully and uh, that is something uh, it motivates a lot of us as uh, jasdeep mentioned i think a lot of us have a lot to learn from uh, paddy's uh, scholarly kind of uh, attitude his web page is still active you know that is something yes. uh, i would also link in the references every every interested person not just only student everybody should have a look at it it's 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 mixed with great humor scholarly work <laughs> and uh, i think there's a lot to learn for for all of us now the amazing thing is that he started writing doing science writing for lay public and for students mm, mm. at the time when he was a phd student yes yes wow okay. that's uh, that's so actually most of us knew of him through his columns in yes. uh, science age in science the today age, yeah. science yeah. reporter magazines which were available at that time yeah yeah and uh, the story of science the, the yeah. book which has been published later that was essentially out of the regular column which he ran which in science age absolutely absolutely yeah great that's uh, fantastic so now uh, we'll uh, go on the same trail of your uh, biography jasdeep yeah. i am now interested in learning more about uh, your transition from a phd to a postdoc and now you are making transition international transition phase transition now <laughs> so tell us about that transition because you also went to another great institute <laughs> in in the in the pathway uh, please tell us a little bit more about that transition yeah. so uh, backtrack a little bit ayuka yeah. has uh, something called a scientific advisory committee mm-hmm. where uh, we have uh, a bunch of uh, national as well as international experts experts and uh, while we were students this group would converge on ayuka every 18 months mm. and there will be a very detailed review of all the scientific work which is going on 
the group would hang around for about five to eight days, mm. which means that students, postdocs had opportunity not only to interact with all of them as a group, but also individually. Individually. So many of us had the opportunity to meet many, uh, you know, famous scientists who, whose mm. papers were in the classics already yes, uh, <laughs> in person, talk to them mm. and uh, learn from them. So some of those interactions gave us an exposure, which I think is not routine for PhD mm. students. The other thing which was very helpful for uh, my generation mm. was mm. that archive had just started when I started my PhD. Ah, nice. 19, uh, early 1990s. 92. 92, yes. Yeah. Okay. So this, and at that stage, the volume of number of papers on archive was small. Small, yes. Which meant that people would actually be able to see all the papers, not papers, at least at abstracts and so on. And you can look mm. at papers which are of interest in your own community, your own area of research. Mm. So I was very pleasantly surprised to find that some of these great people had seen my papers. Mm. Okay. And uh, that added with personal interactions during vis their visits here and then my visits uh, for conferences and so on gave us an exposure and, and provided an opportunity, which I don't think was available to people who came before us. Uh -huh. And it was also not available to people who came much later because archive at that time had become so big. So big, yes. That yes. people became very picky and very choosy in terms of following up on paper. So I got a couple of uh, good offers for postdoc. One in uh, IAP Paris and one in Institute of mm. Astronomy, Cambridge University. Mm. So my uh, potential mentor in uh, Paris said that, no, 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 you go to Cambridge. You can always come <laughs> here for a visit, okay. <laughs> which I did. Uh, and I went to Cambridge. Mm. The fellowship in Cambridge was also very, very special, not only because Cambridge is a great place, but the mm. fellowship is designed to leave you alone. Okay, mm. so they had a whole bunch of uh, project postdoc positions and a small number of positions which are meant for people who will left who will be left free. You do your own thing. Okay, okay, okay. okay. And uh, the atmosphere was absolutely amazing, and I think largely the credit goes to two people for the atmosphere which existed in Institute of Astronomy at that time, uh, Martin Rees and uh, okay. Donald Dindenbell. They had been directors taking turns from each other for a long time. Mm -hmm. The person in charge when I went there was uh, Richard Ellis, who was uh -huh. a great observer. Mm -hmm. But uh, Martin and Donald essentially still were present as uh, mentoring figures. Uh, morning coffee, Martin will go around. He'll have a bunch of preprints in his hands. Okay, <laughs> These are things which people have mailed to him for his suggestions. Uh -huh. Okay, so then he'll say, ah, you might like to see this. Okay, so he'll put people wow. in touch with each other. And he will also come and ask, have you seen this paper on archive today? What do you think about it? This is my reading. What is your reading? And uh, Donald would essentially be a somewhat different approach. Uh, he'll talk more about what he is doing. But uh, he would highlight problems very, very nicely and very, very succinctly. I remember it was my second or third day in the Institute of Astronomy. They have something called a lunch seminar. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you get a 
cheese sandwich lunch and uh, this was followed by a seminar. Mm. Uh, when I came out to have lunch, the lobby was very, very small. So it was already full. All the seats were taken. I picked up my plate and I sat down on the carpet as many other mm. people were doing. Yeah. Okay. So Donald kind of stomps in and uh, looks at me and says, ah, you have come. Very nice, very nice. Mm. And he lies down on the carpet in front of me. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm a bit tired. I just came from Belfast. You know, uh, but tell me, how are you settling in? So the, wow. he gave me two pieces of advice. One was uh, stop converting in your head. Uh, stop thinking <laughs> in rupees. Second was make sure that whichever place you rent has good heating. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, I learned later on that in UK, uh, many landlords switch on heating only after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Whereas the weather there is very fickle. It can get very fickle cold in there. June. Sure. And it can be balmy in uh, September, October. Sure. And of course, we kept on having academic discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people over there. So one, one person whom I had known for a long time was Swear Arseth, who is the mm-hmm. granddaddy of uh, N-body simulations. So... He, interestingly, had been on soft money fellowships in Cambridge all his life. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. So, it was great to talk to him, learn from him. And uh, a lot of students. uh, At that time, astronomy did not have its own uh, separate uh, tripos program. They had a PhD Mm -hmm. program. They didn't have a tripos program. So, astronomy was a part of uh, either the maths tripos. Mm-hmm. which was run in uh, DAMTP, and, oh, yes, uh, yes. or the physics tripos, which was run from Cavendish. Cavendish, nice. Okay. And as postdocs, uh, we were roped in to help with teaching. Uh, Cambridge had this wonderful uh, tutor program. Mm-hmm. So you have courses which are run at very, very fast pace. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are assigned a tutor, but one tutor is assigned to at most four or five students. Students, nice. And you have uh, one and a half to two hours of one-on-one with the tutor mm. uh, discussing problems which from assignments as well as the coursework. That was a very, very nice exposure in terms of teaching because I mm. could see, uh, so I tutored for Richard Ellis and Ofer Lahav during my stay oh. over there. Mm. And mm. what I could see was that these people were picking up problems which were current in research. Research, uh-huh and somehow adapting them to the coursework. Wonderful, wonderful. So that is a very, very nice thing which I picked up uh, over there and I have tried to fold it in in uh, my career. Very nice. That was also the time when uh, George Epsatio had just moved in from uh, Oxford to Cambridge. So we we set up a nice... uh, Interdepartmental uh, cosmology group between Cavendish, DAMTP, and Institute of Astronomy, as well as the Royal Greenwich Observatory, which used to be located uh, mm-hmm. over there. So the observatory was in Greenwich, but our geoscientific staff was in uh, Cambridge. Cambridge. So we yes. had this uh, traveling uh, cosmology weekly seminar, which went from one place to the other. One place. Oh. Wonderful discussions. And uh, managed to see some of the cutting-edge observational research, how it was being mm-hmm. done, how uh, you know things were being planned. 
and uh, I tried to join in on a couple of uh, projects. Unfortunately, it did not work out, mm. partly because one instrument for which I did a whole lot of theoretical calculations, predictions as to how what it will see, that instrument did not work very well. Oh, okay. uh, later on, uh, one of the one of my fellow students from Ayuka, Ramprakash, he joined as a mm. postdoc and he was given the task of fixing it. <laughs> and, it and he discovered that the student who had designed it had uh, used refractive indices uh, for room temperature for a nitrogen oh. pool <laughs> device. <laughs> What the device was supposed to do was to uh, disperse uh, rear infrared light, uh-huh, lock uh-huh. out all the uh, atmospheric lines, and uh-huh. then redisperse so that you can look through these uh, very bright atmospheric lines and nice. observe it near IR. Nice. But because of this miscalculation, the mask was all at the wrong place. Oh, man. <laughs> By the time the instrument got uh, finally ready, I had left Cambridge. Uh, but through interaction with observers and cosmologists in other uh, groups, uh, mm. I managed to get to do work on problems which I wouldn't have thought I will attempt. So, again, coffee table discussion, which kind of continues into your office and uh, carries yeah. on. One very nice thing over there was uh, that we had these large offices. Mm -hmm. Uh, which were shared by five, six Mm -hmm. people. And uh, so we had PhD students, postdocs, junior postdocs, senior postdocs, all in a mix and uh, not necessarily working on the same topic. Same problem, yeah. And uh, I remember one very interesting paper which we wrote over there stemmed Mm -hmm. from a discussion which my neighbor was having with a student. And (laughs) I said, look, this will not work, you know. Uh, Uh. You need to... (laughs) take care of this particular thing. They looked at me and said, yes, that is true. Can you give us that calculation? <laughs> <laughs> so, nice. Yeah. nice. So those interactions were very nice. Uh, even though we had people all the way from Martin Rees, who was a royal astronomer, yeah. to yeah. lowly graduate students, uh, he of course had a separate office, but the floor space which all of us had was almost identical. Wow, nice, nice. And I think Martin and Donald took care that everyone has uh, a good place to work in, comfortable place to work in. And so many of these values. So one incident which I would like to recount is that uh, yeah, shortly yeah. before I joined, uh. Uh, Martin Rees, who had been the Plumian professor, he became a royal astronomer. Hmm. And he told the university and the department that, you know, why should I take two salaries? Royal astronomer is for life. So I will mm-hmm. resign from Plumian professor so department can hire one more senior person. Beautiful. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now that is, uh, <laughs> how many will do that? <laughs> so th- these these were the kind of examples which which really showed us. Uh, so yeah. you know, how, how do you build a great uh, department? department? How do you build a great group? Another important aspect is also the deep sense of commitment, right? That is something which is uh, very evident in in a lot of people whom you just mentioned, not only in in, uh, Cambridge, but also probably in India. Uh, That sense of commitment is uh, is, uh, at the heart of institution building and that is something which is very crucial. 
so did you also interact a lot with uh, uh, for example department of uh, uh, applied mathematics and other places there in cambridge or uh, this yes, was so. i know that uh, this institution itself is a very big big one and yeah. i i also know that they are physically not in the same place uh, because i have uh, now now they are not very far from each other yeah 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 now they are not very far from uh, yeah. but earlier uh, damtp used to be quite far from institute of astronomy yeah but yeah. all the astronomy teaching was there no so okay, okay. as a tutor i had to go there first to listen to the lectures by the person who i was tutoring for and yeah. uh, then uh, for tutorial sessions and of course our traveling cosmology seminar would uh, once in 3 weeks go to dmtp so dmt nice nice so uh, we will move forward and uh, also talk a little bit about your uh, stint at another cambridge across the atlantic yeah. <laughs> where you also went to harvard smithsonian which is also equally you know very very reputed uh, institution of uh, uh, astrophysics uh, could you just give us a gist of your experience there yeah so i had uh, my i had a two year term at cambridge mm-hmm. uh, third year extension was possible but i was starting to apply around mm-hmm. and uh, i had applied to uh, cfa and they asked us if i'll be open to accepting a a uh, project funded position mm. given that it is free mm. okay so bill press uh, the person who led the numerical recipes uh, writing yeah yes, so yes he he had a grant and he said that you know if if i am willing to be considered in that it will still be a free position it will not be a cfa postdoc but i'll be in cfa and i'll have a fellowship so i agreed and uh, went there the only offbeat thing was that uh, he himself went away on a sabbatical <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so i did not get to interact much with him but uh, ramesh narayan uh, was there then uh, lars hernquist had joined the group martin white was there chris kochanek avi loeb uh, george ribicki and oh, okay. uh, george field used to come by he had retired but he would come once or twice a week and this was just the theory group and there were uh, six other divisions uh, one one didn't really get to meet everyone in cfa in cfa you met them more often in conferences elsewhere because uh, <laughs> there were about 600 astronomers working in the department wow <laughs> that where do you get it probably the largest right yeah, yeah it, it is the largest one thing which i did miss in harvard was uh, interaction with phd students mm-hmm. because uh, unlike uh, cambridge university peer mm-hmm. uh, students and postdocs mingled quite a lot and mm-hmm. uh, i was even given the responsibility of uh, helping out students for uh, uh, faculty members who were away on long leave or sabbatical here the the channel of communication was very strictly through the supervisor supervisor okay and students sat somewhere in the basement you, you didn't mm-hmm. even know and uh, when we had the uh, so we used to have something called a theory lunch mm-hmm. where all the postdocs and faculty members would go out for lunch together we had a theory lunch seminar where again students will be called by the supervisor if they thought it was interesting for them otherwise no. <laughs> they so i i missed that interaction but uh, okay. otherwise it was a great place and a mm-hmm. uh, fantastic place to learn things in yeah. yeah nice 
So uh, then uh, we will move ahead uh, because there are some very interesting things also to discuss because now you are planning to head back to India. First and the most important question is Justit, why did you plan to come back to India <laughs> with this kind of uh, experience? I am very sure you would have had uh, kind of opportunities to uh, take up positions elsewhere. What motivated you and uh, what was uh, the thinking process at that time? Uh, I don't think I, th- I thought that much. Okay. Uh, okay. So, yes, there were possibilities uh, abroad. Hmm. But uh, I had never thought that I will kind of stay on abroad for a very long time. Uh, if you ask me why, I would not be able to answer you that. As a, but yeah. uh, I had thought that I will come back. And uh, towards the end of my second year in Cambridge, I had started applying for uh, permanent positions. Uh, HRI Allahabad had shown interest. And mm-hmm. they were developing very, very rapidly as an institute for theoretical work. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ashok Sen had just joined there. Yes. And so on. So when they offered, I readily accepted. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I accepted at HRI before I had even gone to Harvard. Uh, oh, is it? Okay. But, okay. But they agreed to kind of hold back. And, hold back. And, uh, okay. Give me time. Uh, Year, almost a year and a half for mm. uh, you know, going to Harvard and then coming back. Otherwise, I would have actually stayed over in Harvard for another year if I didn't mm. have something mm. uh, back here. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, the in the theory division, uh, Lars Hernquist, uh, Martin White, and Chris Kochanek were the main cosmologists. Mm. And uh, they started a very nice uh, weekly group discussion with which was uh, very, very insightful. Mm. Uh, Lars uh, brought in two postdocs whom I interacted a lot with. One was mm. uh, Rupert Croft. He mm. had done his PhD at Oxford with uh, Georgia Satyo. And this mm. was his second postdoc, just like me. And uh, Walker Springle had come from uh, Max Planck. He had uh, done his PhD with Simon White. And uh, he had just written the gadget code during his PhD. Oh. Uh, uh, at that stage, I was working on some problems related to uh, clustering of galaxies which had been discovered at high redshifts. So this work had started in uh, UK, Institute of Astronomy, because uh, uh, Max Patini, someone, uh, a senior scientist at uh, Greenwich Observatory, he was mm-hmm. part of an international group which had uh, deployed a nice technique to discover high redshift galaxies. Uh, and they had discovered a few hundred galaxies around redshift of three, which was a very big thing at that time. Okay. And okay. when they started computing clustering of these galaxies, they found that the clustering amplitude is almost the same as galaxies today. Mm-hmm. And uh, they found it very surprising. And uh, they, they, argued that perhaps it is putting very, very strong constraints on cosmological models. So while in uh, Institute of Astronomy, I had uh, done some work showing that that is not the case because the earlier galaxies are the rare galaxies. So these are the rare peaks which are collapsing. 
and in a gaussian random field rare peaks are more strongly clustered than more strongly the typical peaks so i've done that okay. work and uh, i wanted to follow up hmm. saying that you know you can explain what has been observed is fine but uh, can i now use this clustering whichever is whatever is available to say something about what is the background cosmological model is cosmological. there some information hidden over there and i started discovering limitations of the n body code which i had written during my phd time which mm-hmm. was the simplest cosmological n body code and i wanted to do some, somewhat better mm-hmm. and uh, i first wrote a different kind of a high resolution code and then discovered that it's way too slow it will take me enormous amount of time to get anything practical done and also had some uh, issues with uh, accuracy for cosmological applications so at that stage uh, uh, taking a cue from some very early work which uh, george ribicky had done on uh, putting periodic periodic boundary conditions for tree codes i developed a new method new algorithm for doing uh, cosmological and body simulations which was uh, very accurate and much faster than the existing high resolution methods high resolution nice nice so that that essentially came out of uh, discussions with various people like martin white walker springle and uh, so on and uh, that allowed me to at least see that i i can uh, so there are uh, uh, signatures of the cosmological model in uh, clustering but not at the second moment level it is there mm. in the higher moment but then we also realized that the errors of measurement at higher uh, high, uh, higher moments are uh, much much larger and we larger. still may not be able to differentiate anyhow that led to development of this particular algorithm and code and uh, uh, so this is that the tree pm that is the one is the which PPM led to yeah, the, yeah. the famous tree pm <laughs> yes, that's the tree pm uh, code which is now as a part of pretty much every cosmological uh, simulation code wonderful wonderful so can, can you give a very brief gist because it's i know that it's a n body simulation based uh, kind of right. approach uh, right. very short gist if you can tell us about a yeah. little bit so uh, if you want to model gravitational interaction you have to solve poisson equation mm. Mm. right now earlier uh, methods were used to solve poisson equation either in fourier space in which case you have to use a fast fourier transform fast which yes. means that you have to use a grid mm. Mm-hmm. and the grid size will tell uh, will limit the resolution of the code mm-hmm. code okay okay there were real space based uh, methods which used either tree or moments or something mm-hmm. where it was very very difficult to impose periodic boundary conditions okay so what i did was to say that i will write down the poisson equation but mm-hmm. now i will partition the poisson equation into two so it's partitioning of unity and i will write down two separate equations one for the long range potential one for the short range potential short range potential okay mm. long range i will solve in fourier space short range i will solve using tree nice nice and because mathematically i have ensured that when i add them up i'll get the full answer mm. uh i have a very sound mathematical basis for doing this doing this. earlier people were doing an ad hoc summation Mm. so there is a type of code called pqdem particle 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 bash codes where 
a correction is added to whatever you have from the Fourier based uh, first Fourier based methods. Mm-hmm. But that leads to strong inaccuracies because the mesh based methods give you a highly anisotropic force. Mm-hmm. And a correction which is isotropic cannot get rid of those anisotropies. So with 3PM, by doing a formal partitioning and taking care that the long range potential is the only one which is being solved through Fourier methods, mm-hmm. one gets mm-hmm. rid of those anisotropies. So it turned out to be much more accurate and much faster. Hmm. Rarely happens, but it happened, and uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's something very which I'm unusual. Very of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 a kind of remarkable thing. So, if uh, listeners are more interested, I would be anyway linking this uh, in the reference. I would urge uh, people to go and check. Uh, it's it's a very interesting kind of piece. Now, I assume uh, again, you know, I'm talking uh, uh, slightly more from a, a conventional physics viewpoint. This probably has also implications for, uh, towards. A dark energy aspect of the problem uh, because you would be able to now get something at least a clue in t- understanding these kind of uh, uh, not for uh, not from here that not that from requires, here okay no, that requires a different approach because uh, hmm. dark energy is something which cannot be modeled properly at a non-relativistic level okay there is okay. all the cosmological and body simulations work in the weak field non-relativistic limit of uh, general relativity General relativity. Okay. So okay. one has to write a numerical relativity code to do mm, that, mm. which is much okay. harder. So okay. we did that also later, much later. Oh. Uh, okay. But okay. Uh, that's a completely different model. Completely different, different model. Okay. Nice, nice. Uh, I, as I, again, you know, as a curiosity-based question, one of the fascinating elements of understanding the problem of both uh, dark matter and dark energy is to identify. Uh, within the framework of uh, observable universe, uh, some potential candidates, which is still an open challenge, right? Which is not, that's not been actually solved at all. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jasit? Because uh, this search, you know, it really is telling us that whatever we are observing is a very small part of what is there. And uh, this is actually probably one of the greatest challenges to human knowledge. And uh, could you just tell us uh, about a little bit more about uh, your thoughts on this? So let me start with dark energy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So dark energy we think is responsible for accelerated expansion of the universe. And uh, it's an idea which has kind of come and gone several times, but in its present incarnation, which starts in 1997-98, it has now been firmly rooted in the standard cosmological model. Cosmological, yeah. The properties which we require of dark energy are very unusual. And we cannot easily produce that using well-known matter fields. Mm. Okay. Mm. The only place where we get something similar are grand unified theories, but then we are off by about 120 orders of magnitude. So that mm. clearly is not the answer. The answer lies somewhere else. Mm. Now, since the energy scale of dark energy is so low, okay, what we have to do is to think of some effective model. Mm. We cannot take standard particle physics models and hope to produce this because we are looking at an energy level which is, you know, tens of orders of magnitudes lower than the uh, electron mass. If we do that, if we try to make effective models, people have tried making effective models from uh, with different approaches. You can take a canonical scalar field, you can take a bunch of scalar fields, 
you can take uh, born in felt kind of an action and so on mm-hmm. so one of the questions is can you actually tell what the action is from observations nice and paddy addressed this question back in 2002 and he showed that the uh, observables like distance measurements from supernovae or paleoacoustic oscillations or cmb mm. all of them are insensitive to what action it is because mm. you give me a scale factor you give me the expansion history and i can construct a potential which will solve the problem for you solve the problem nice unless you have a compelling reason to rule out a potential mm-hmm. you will not be able to differentiate between different approaches different, different classes approaches. of approaches so one of the questions which we thought of at that time this is uh, with paddy and others was can i go beyond distance measurements can i look at mm-hmm. clustering and uh, see an evidence of what kind of a model we have for dark energy it took a while but uh, we addressed this issue using a numerical relativity approach with uh, one of my former students and uh, we showed conclusively that clustering does not give you anything which can mm-hmm. allow you to differentiate between different models there are differences between different models of dark energy but if they are in the range which is permitted by present day observations those differences are too minuscule to be seen too minuscule nice uh so this was with a former student uh, manvendra pratap and mm-hmm. uh, he and another student in the uh, department abhishek uh, uh, sorry avinash singh uh, what they did together along with harvinder and uh, me was to come up with a representation mm-hmm. where different models of dark energy could be cast in the same set of uh, variables and they showed that in perturbation series hmm. the differences between different classes of models have a prefix and that prefix for our universe is very small mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it okay. is because of that prefix being very small the differences between different classes of models are really really small, really small. therefore they okay. may remain unobservable for uh as far as we can guess as far as wow so, so how is, not, is there a way out <laughs> we don't know we don't know no, we don't know you know for for any any kind of an observational principle uh, this is a great challenge right this is a yeah. very very big challenge for dark matter the mm-hmm. probes are essentially based on uh, dynamics so you can look at what is yeah. happening in orbits of stars orbits near centers yeah. of galaxies Or like rotation curve or something like that uh something okay. similar something similar okay. Okay. and uh, you can look at gravitational lensing but all of these are essentially probing the gravitational potential potential nice now the gravitational potential is related to density through poisson equation mm-hmm. and if i write the equation in fourier domain then it is basically telling me that the uh high k mode which is small length scales that information is lost when i go from density to potential nice nice and differences in different types of dark matter models will only show up over there mm, mm. so therefore using astronomical observations to 
say what type of dark matter you have is going to be hard. Hard, okay. But thankfully, it is not impossible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where dark energy, it seems that next yeah. 10, 20 yeah. years, you can just forget about it. Here, there is still some hope. Some hope. There is additional hope that if it is some fundamental particle, which is uh, the dark matter particle, then in that case, it may decay, it may annihilate, and that may give give you some signal. So people are pursuing that approach. And people are also trying to do laboratory experiments for detecting mm-hmm. dark matter, because uh, unless it is a completely independent sector in mm-hmm. the matter field, it should have some interaction. Interaction. So people try to look for a signature of interaction with something where nothing could have come, nothing known could have come. So far, we have only got upper bounds. But uh, hopefully, as experiments get better, we will be able to make a detection. So okay. again, there, there is some hope that we'll be able to do this. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, it remains actually one of the most important uh, you know, challenges, as I mentioned and uh, students and people who are now listening to this uh, hopefully will get motivated and also take up as a, as this as an important uh, kind of area of research which they should probably think a lot about uh, all these things jasit uh, also would require a very good coordination between uh, observers and also uh, numerical simulations and uh, the kind of hardcore theoretical physics viewpoint um, how is the general uh, notion of the community within astroparticle physics and uh, observational astronomy and other places? Uh, how, how is the coordination going on? Uh, uh, what do you think about uh, that kind of uh, approach? Uh, to doing I think it is uh, one of the best that I have seen. Hmm. Uh, so I, I, in different capacities, I've had to interact with people from different uh, branches yeah. of physics and also from different uh, sciences. Hmm. And I think it is one of the best. Best. Uh, The time on most observatories is open. Mm -hmm. Data from all observatories is made available to everyone after a certain period of time. Very nice. And uh, people do make an effort, even though it is a challenging task, people do make an effort to pick up the raw data from Mm -hmm. different observatories and reanalyze it and try to at least do a consistency check. In, in many cases. Uh, so overall, there is a strong uh, coordination. Mm. One place where I think the link is slightly weak is between astroparticle and the regular astronomer cosmology community. Uh-huh. So that link okay. is a little bit weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess with the interest focusing more and more on uh, properties of dark matter, Mm. The two mm. sub-communities are talking to each other much talking more than they were five years ago. Nice. And, nice. Uh, so hopefully that will improve as well. That will improve going yeah. forward. So astronomy community, you see, started the idea of open access long ago. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, on the... No, astronomy... long ago, so long ago, it has been the case for uh, millennia. <laughs> to be very frank. If you look well, at Tycho Brahe, also <laughs> was uh, the one who motivated Kepler to take it further and then subsequently everybody, so to speak. Now, if you look at uh, the uh, current internet era, then the astronomy yeah, yeah, data yeah. system which was set up uh, about 30 years ago, yeah, yeah. Uh, all astronomy journals from volume one are available over there. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. That's, yeah. that's uh, excellent. That's excellent. 
no that is one thing which is probably the scientific community has to kind of take it uh, forward and uh, maybe adapt that uh, viewpoint because even if you look at uh, the for one of the first adaptations or rather the welcoming kind of uh, uh, notion among the scientist community towards archive was high energy physics astrophysics and only then later on others also started pitching in um and that is a that is an important point what you mentioned uh, that's a very critical element. see there are two things which come out of this one is that no data gets wasted mm. okay mm. even if the person exactly. who collected the data collected it for some specific purpose and they analyzed it sometimes there is lot more to that data than that specific Absolutely. research very nice and in case the person who collected the data doesn't want to do the analysis or share the results of analysis others can always come along and do it do it nice yeah. nice so wonderful this it's, is it's a very good use of resources absolutely absolutely very good uh, use of resources both in terms of uh, data and also the human aspect of the resource <laughs> that's a wonderful thing so uh, we're going to also kind of broaden the scope uh, before i do that i would also want to know your transition from uh, hri because you have you worked in hri for almost 10 years and then uh, you also moved to um, icer mohali tell us a little bit about your experience both at hri and then moving into mohali uh when i joined hri uh the institute was still being set up in terms yeah, of yeah. Uh, structure although most people who who kind of uh, worked there for long were already in in, in place uh the institute was just moving out of uh, project mode mm-hmm. and uh, i think soon after joining i was told that we have lots of money to buy a telescope ah <laughs> okay so i said yeah but what will we do with the telescope over here <laughs> that, that that is not very useful when i asked how much money is there it turned out to be a substantial amount i uh, said let's buy a small telescope uh, which can be used for some stuff but uh, use rest of the money for something else else yeah uh, there was in- interestingly support for that uh, uh, and uh, we managed to get a desktop computer for every student and postdoc Nice. till then nice. only nice. faculty members had that and uh, <laughs> this allowed people to work because the number of computers in the computer center at that stage was limited it was like 10 and there were about 20 phd students and 5 6 postdocs so nice. they often had to work around each other do some kind <laughs> of time share so th- th- this helped and then uh, we needed some kind of a platform for uh, high performance computing I, my work needed that and then there were others like uh, pinaki majumdar his group needed that uh, there were sanctions so we could not really buy big machines at that stage yeah. this is uh, post pokhran 2 so we decided to uh, try and set up uh, linux clusters Mm-hmm. okay so at that stage this was not really something which was known or had been worked on in india so we got some money from the institute and set up a small cluster mm-hmm. and uh, started learning and using uh, this in then through five year projects these are five year plan projects mm-hmm. we got substantial support from the department of atomic energy 
and we yes. were able to set up reasonably large facilities. Even though it was a project which was written by three, four of us, we mm. declared in the project uh, proposal itself that we will open the facility to everyone Very who wants to nice. use it. Nice. So even though high energy physics people were not involved in writing the proposal or in setting up or maintaining the facility, their students became some of the biggest users, users. of the yeah. facility. So high energy physics, uh, condensed matter physics, astro, these three groups mm. used the yes, facility yeah. heavily. And the usage was so good that uh, he actually gave us extra money. Extra, so nice, we nice. could <laughs> set up uh, new things. Uh, learning how to set up these machines and uh, maintaining them, that was an interesting uh, learning exercise for me. And nice. then uh, Professor Mani, who was the director, he encouraged me that, you know, since you are learning this and many other institutions face the same problems and this is a low-cost solution, why don't you yeah. just run a few schools? to teach mm. people on that, which we did. Uh, we continued getting good support over there. Mm. We managed to set up a fairly good group in astronomy cosmology mm. over there. But there were limitations in the sense that mm. uh, we knew that we will not be able to hire more people. Mm. And uh, overall, uh, we also had a two-body problem. So my mm. wife is a yeah. physicist. So we were looking Physics, for... Yeah opportunities and nice. uh, then at some stage we decided that you know we'll, we'll try our luck in other places as well uh, i was i have been interested in teaching so yes, icers yes. were definitely uh, one option so i applied to isa mohali at that stage i actually did not apply to other icers because uh, isa pune at that stage was not very keen on taking astronomy people Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, not this uh, Ganesh said that you know Ayuka is there so why do why do we need to hire astronomy people yeah, in right. yes that that can be a way of thinking so <laughs> applied to various places and uh, got in some but I decided huh. to stay on in Isa Mohali uh, when I joined at that stage the curriculum was still being planned mm. the institute was already in its third year but yes, the yes. overall curriculum structure and courses for fourth year electives, etc., those had not been frozen in. Mm. So managed to participate in some of that discussion. And uh, then, of course, in implementing all of this. Interestingly, Isa Mohali has had uh, an astronomy elective in the second year of BSMS mm. right from the start. Nice. So initially, it was taught by Rajaram Nityanan and uh, yes, Pankaj yes. Acharya. And uh, then later, mm, the punk, uh, Rajaram and I taught it. Mm, mm. And then, of course, I joined. So we started mm. taking care of it. So over the years, we have managed to build a small astronomy, gravity kind of mm. a group over here. And uh, students, of course, have been great, wonderful. And now we offer a minor in astronomy. Nice. We nice. Very nice. That stage. We have many courses in astronomy and gradually we are trying to add some uh, experiments so we can have a laboratory for astronomy. Laboratory. Wonderful. Wonderful. One of the master's thesis students last year, she uh, built a small horn antenna and mm. uh, used that to measure the rotation curve of our own galaxy. And Wonderful. The so slowly we are kind of uh, gathering pace over there. Gathering. So... My interest in teaching is certainly satisfied over here. 
yeah. and yeah. Uh, that 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 keeps me happy and, yeah, absolutely uh, chandigarh mohani is a <laughs> lovely place to be in uh, very close to himachal so we can run away to the hills every hills. now and then thanks <laughs> nice. thanks nice. it's been also great set of people in fact that yeah. is a yeah, important part also in that sense uh, your uh, experience of having uh, you know excellent exposure to research uh, uh, kind of ecosystem uh, and uh, now also a very important uh, kind of uh, impl- implementation of those knowledge in an educational uh, kind of intensive research institution uh, like what we are in uh what has been your experience jita because uh the kind of bringing together of research and teaching has great benefits not only to students but also to researchers uh do you want to just touch upon in a few uh, kind of minutes on that uh so there are many aspects to this one of course is uh teaching and teaching different courses mm-hmm. for me as an astronomer because astronomy takes in inputs from very very diverse aspects of physics yeah so just yeah. teaching different courses keeps me fresh fresh in terms yeah. of uh, basics students very often have perspectives which are uh, something which i would not have thought of mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also things which you don't find in textbooks okay textbooks absolutely they are thinking originally if you mm-hmm. give them the opportunity to have a voice in the class it can be really really fruitful really fruitful and it yeah. can be absolutely amazing uh the other is that almost all of these students want to get involved in research mm. and they want mm. to get involved in research from an early stage so i have been experimenting yeah. with giving challenging problems even to first year students mm. but what i do and this is something i i, I should definitely uh, credit uh, satyajit rath with mm-hmm. uh, in early years when i was dean uh, rnd he mm-hmm. was the research advisory committee committee okay he okay. asked very pointedly that you know what are you doing about undergraduate research mm-hmm. so then i had a long conversation with him to understand what mm-hmm. he meant so after that i started giving these challenging problems to groups of students so not nice. to one student but mm-hmm. to groups of students and see how they perform So initially the idea was to just give them problems which have been solved mm. so that hopefully they are able to repeat the analysis and learn all the skills along the way but gradually i have started throwing completely open things also and nice. uh, it it it's been interesting many times they lead to a new direction in new direction research. absolutely absolutely wonderful wonderful this is a, a very important part of uh, you know uh, the uh, amalgamation so to speak of both research and uh, teaching it also uh, leads uh, one and kind of enthuses the <laughs> the researchers also to look at things in a slightly different way uh, because uh, merely the fact that somebody is uh, uh, is uh, still young doesn't mean that they cannot have uh, kind of you know peripheral ideas which might actually become mainstream very quickly at some point of time yeah so um now that we have discussed a kind of a very brief overview of uh, what is your current interest jasjit uh, what you and your group are working on uh, could you tell us a little bit about that uh, yeah. so i have uh, three or four different streams in which uh, i am working currently mm-hmm. one uh, area where i have actually invested a lot of time in last few years is gravitational lensing 
So this is something which was actually an offshoot of my graduate school project with Varun Sahni. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, no, so uh, he wanted me to look at uh, a catastrophe theory-based uh, analysis of mm. uh, Gaussian random fields and whether these catastrophes are related to structures which form in n-body simulations. Mm. Uh, this was in two dimensions. It turns out that when we do gravitational lensing, the equations are the same. Same. Which means nice. the similar analysis holds over here. So I mapped that knowledge into gravitational lensing at some stage. Wonderful. And mm. uh, one of my former students, he started looking at characteristics of uh, what are referred to as unstable singularities in, Singular. map, mm -hmm. in these maps. Mm -hmm. So all the uh, multiple imaging in the gravitational lensing happens because of singularities in the map. Okay. And uh, there are two stable types of singularities, which people have been working on since the beginning. And hmm. there are three unstable types, which people have not worried about because they are unstable, rare. And uh, hmm. there had been some work about 15 years ago, which hmm. argued that uh, these are so rare that you will see at most one in the entire sky. Sky, nice. Okay. So most people did not pay attention. We just decided to take a look at this. And as we started exploring, we realized that these are not so unstable after all. And if we mm -hmm. take realistic uh, models of gravitational clusters, then the frequency with which they should occur should be much higher than the earlier higher. Okay. So we pushed that idea. And uh, this year, uh, one group from France has uh, reported discovery of three of these unstable uh, types in one single cluster. So, wow, wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, informally, that's, that's... they have told us that they have many more things lined up. And uh, that, that, that's kind of coming to fruition. Our motivation Wonderful. to look for this was uh, the, the large number of uh, all-sky surveys which are coming up with mm. the Euclid mm. Dark Energy Survey and with JWST. The kind mm. of modeling which will be possible, uh, we thought that it should reveal more stuff. And that mm. was our motivation. And it's nice to see that even before JWST results have started pouring in, there has already mm. some discoveries. Uh, along the way, uh, again, this was triggered by students that, mm. uh, you know, gravitational waves have been discovered. What about lensing yeah. of gravitational waves? Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> we started looking at it and uh, uh, standard lensing goes through exactly as huh. it does for electromagnetic waves. No surprises there. Mm -hmm. But one thing which we realized was that uh, wavelength of gravitational waves which are being observed are enormous. Okay, we are okay. observing things which are at uh, 100 hertz. Okay, you are talking yeah. about yeah. A thousand kilometers. Kilometers. Exactly. If you have a gravitational lens which is like a star or a uh -huh. black hole, then the path difference can be of this order. Wow. Okay. 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 So you can see interference. Beautiful. Nice. Nice. So we started exploring the impact of uh, the wave nature in lensing of gravitational waves. And uh, what impact that has on observation. That is and, wonderful. Uh, some very nice work over there with uh, Ashish Meena, who was a PhD student, and uh, mm -hmm. Rahul mm -hmm. Mish, who was a master's thesis. So his master's thesis had some very interesting work. Uh, Fantastic. Mm -hmm. The other area of uh, galaxy <coughs> formation and structure formation continues. Mm -hmm. So in that, uh, 
we are essentially trying poking at some gray areas which have not been sorted out mm. because the mm. community in the last 15 years has taken the approach that you know we know the standard cosmological model now so i'll just do bigger and bigger simulations why bother trying to understand nitty gritty nitty gritty so we said okay we'll focus on the nitty gritty you guys do big simulations <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the things in structure formation which was quite revolutionary starting uh-huh. uh, and this started in 1990s and uh, the underlying ideas were given by chandrashekhar back in uh-huh. 1940s is uh, describing collapse of dark matter halos <clears throat> as a random walk in some space and uh, with with barriers so when the random walk hits a barrier you have formation mm. of a halo so this is called the excursion set approach and the way the approach has been formulated is that uh, you can take out details of the cosmological model and you can hide the initial conditions initial nice so it's a universal formalism in such sense so we wanted to know whether uh, the spectrum of dark matter halos which forms is truly universal mm. or not so we did a whole bunch of numerical experiments this was mm. tried mm. earlier we couldn't complete that at that time but a phd student who is finishing now swati gavas <coughs> uh, she managed to do a very comprehensive job and mm. demonstrate that there are departures from universality nice nice okay so this has an impact in many places because many of the precision cosmology calculations make use of the excursion set set okay. okay so they need to tweak things a little bit mm. and uh, right now she is trying to pinpoint exactly where this non universality is coming from coming from okay okay so going deeper into that hole she has also done some other interesting uh, work which we are writing up so this has to do with uh, this potentially has something to do with the hubble tension so mm. people keep mm. talking about different measurements of uh, hubble's constant which are disparate and inconsistent with each other uh, so what she has done is to use and body simulations to ask that suppose i have these galaxies which are forming in halos and i put mm-hmm. my observers over there Hmm. an observer sitting in the observatory doesn't know which way the other galaxies are moving moving okay okay so they only know the total motion which is expansion plus gravitational clustering induced motion so in a simulation i can ask because i can put my observer anywhere in any hmm. of the galaxies hmm. i can ask what would be the distribution of measured values nice nice okay and she has been able to show that that distribution is broad enough that uh, the small scale measurements can be quite different from the large scale measurements large scale okay so that is something. wonderful and in galaxy formation we started a project uh, led mainly by nisim kanikar and uh, jaram changulur at mm-hmm. ncrh so this was started yeah, yeah, five six years ago on measuring uh, hydrogen content atomic hydrogen content of uh, galaxies at uh, moderate redshifts so no. this became possible with the upgraded gmrt and pain mm-hmm. uh, analysis of that is done we are doing some more work over there and uh, with one of my phd students we are trying to now make predictions based on these results for uh, future surveys which will go, come up with the square kilometer 
Wonderful. A few other odds and ends in galaxy formation, which we continue working on. Yeah, I see that you also mentor a lot of uh, undergraduate students, right? Yeah. Uh, pause. Yeah. So, uh, going further, uh, you can also elaborate a little bit more about the, also the research you do with your undergraduate students and also the PhD students. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, one interesting area which we started a few years ago was uh, to look at what happens to galaxies in clusters of galaxies. Hmm. So, there was a calculation done about 50 years ago, which argued that clusters of galaxies have so much of uh, hot gas that any galaxy moving through the cluster will lose its gas. The cold gas will just be pushed out because galaxies move at about 1,000, 2,000 kilometers per second in that hot environment. All the cold mm-hmm. gas will be lost. So then the puzzle, observational puzzle has been that we continue to see some galaxies in clusters of galaxies which are still retaining some gas and forming stars. Mm. So this begs for an explanation. And uh, along with a postdoc and a PhD student, we created a slightly more detailed model to Mm. try and understand this. And we realized that the main reason why galaxies are able to retain some gas is that the galactic disk is not homogeneous. Whereas the simplified calculations which were done earlier, we assumed that it is homogeneous. So when we account for inhomogeneities, then it, we can explain at least part of retention of gas. Another part uh, is explained, uh, and this was done by another group, is that there are some regions where the gas is still falling into the clusters. And if the gas mm. galaxy falls along with that gas, it faces less pressure. And nice. right now, uh, we're looking at what uh, magnetic fields do for uh, retention. Mm-hmm. So along with the undergraduate students, I try to essentially explore new areas because for master's thesis they have about a year and uh, we, we can we can at least sow the seed for a full-blown research problem Absolutely. Uh, of course there are some students who are very bright and who are very quick and they latch on and they are able to produce excellent research within one year but uh, for most of them essentially they are able to test ideas on whether they will actually lead to something or not nice nice this is uh, wonderful, wonderful. I see that you have also mentored so many students. Uh, that's an important part of uh, being in an institute which has a huge undergraduate student community. Right. Uh, what has been your general experience working with them? Uh, overall experience has been very good with mm. the exception of maybe one or two students who mm. kind of lost track. Right. And yeah. uh, I think it is important for us to try and follow up and see why some students lose track. Lose track. Uh, yeah. We can always adapt our mentorship to adjust for you know small uh, variations in personalities. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing which I see is that some very bright students who are very kind, mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. when they see not-so-kind fellow students uh, yeah. doing much better, in terms of marks and so on, that I, I have seen that hit these uh, kinder yeah, souls, yeah. and yeah, uh, yeah one, one can try to counsel them, but doesn't always work. Life is not always fair, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know, 
one, one has to account for the fact and we also understand ourselves and account for our own personality in uh, what we are going to get at the end of the day. Uh, Absolutely. And, and, and be satisfied with it because you have to be yourself. If you are not yourself, then you know you, you will unnecessarily stress yourself out. That, that leads to even more unpleasant results. So overall, the experience has been fairly good. And uh, the idea is to give students an over ownership of the project which they are doing, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it cannot be that a master's thesis project, which extends over two semesters, becomes like a standard problem solving where they are mm. guided, you know, do this, do this, do this, and then yeah. something will pop out of the computer or and result of the calculation. They need to take an ownership and understand mm. and be invested in that. And when that happens, results are absolutely wonderful. Even if they are not able to reach or get spectacular results, at the very least, they are able to figure out how to pose and solve a problem. Absolutely right. And then later on, no matter what they go and do, whether they are in academia or industry or some other job or in teaching, they will be able to do well. Okay. Beautiful. That, that I think, is a skill which we need to impart in our students. The ability to figure out how to learn and solve problems. Absolutely. In fact, uh, you also mentioned that you're intrigued by learning. You know, I, I really like that phase. It's a, it's something all of us, not only as researchers, but also as teachers, have to uh, be intrigued by that. Because it's a fascinating process, both at a psychological level and also at a, a epistemological level. Uh, have you thought a little bit more on that, Jastit, in terms of uh, the way students do grasp things? Not only just students, anybody who is learning. It's a very fascinating question. I, I do appreciate the point what you have already put it there. Could you please elaborate a little bit, little bit on that? See, the learning has to be active. Mm. If you want to learn anything, if anyone wants to learn anything, they have to immerse themselves in that subject and they have to do things. They have to... Uh, it is not just reading something from a textbook or listening to a lecture they have to be able to reproduce results, reproduce and develop their own concept map mm. for mm. you know, for whatever they are trying to learn and have their own view of things. In science, I think we underplay the role of this building your own concept map. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. But it is exceedingly important. And it can only be done by doing not by listening, not just by reading. Okay. Precisely right. Precisely right. Yeah. And one thing which accelerates this enormously is uh, good peer interaction. Mm. Okay. So I always try to recommend students that you know when you are learning a subject, find a couple of other people who are also trying to do that. You know? mm. Mm. Have discussions. It's not that you have to be into each other's heads all the time. But spend, you know, half an hour after the class having a discussion about what has happened, what has been discussed, and Mm. how will you approach the problems. And then later on, you can come back and discuss whether that lead succeeded or not. 
Not because no yeah. one person can think of all the ideas in the beginning. Okay. Precisely right. Yes. Uh, but once you know what are the possible ways of looking at a problem by listening to your friends, to your co-workers and to your teachers, then you develop a more wholesome approach. So I think peer interaction is very important and doing things yourself is very, very important. Very important. Uh, in fact, I see a regression in these, uh, on, on these counts mm. after the pandemic mm. because mm. people mm. have so become used to listening to or watching video lectures. Videos, yes, you're okay. right. Absolutely right. right. When I joined Aysa Mohali, I used to find it strange that I mention a book and students suddenly go search and find the <laughs> ebook equivalent of that. <laughs> Today, they don't look for an ebook. They look for lecture, uh, video recorded lectures. <laughs> Yes, yes. So Absolutely. I keep telling that, you know, this is even more passive. Passive. <laughs> and, uh, Absolutely right. In fact, I, I have also, you know, written and various different places exactly on this because there is no substitute to, to the in-person kind of interaction. Uh, it can aid something, but to not actually replace something. That is an important uh, thing. And in terms of doing problems, uh, I, I really like... Uh, Two quotes. One is from uh, uh, Taylor and Beeler, Special Relativity. Mm. Yes, yes. So it starts out by setting up the first moral principle of problem solving. That <laughs> before you pick up pencil or pen and paper, you should try to guess what the answer is. Answer is beautiful. You don't have to tell anyone, but you should try <laughs> yeah, to yeah. guess what the answer is. And then you work through. Because work through. if you thought right, your in intuition will be reinforced. And exactly. if you thought wrong, you will correct your intuition. The other is... Uh, sorry yeah. sorry to interrupt. This is exactly what Fermi tells also, right? There is a very nice quote by Fermi. Yeah, please go ahead. Please go ahead. Please go yeah. ahead. <laughs> the other is uh, from uh, Ma's book on uh, statistical physics. Uh, uh, uh. Where he says that, you know, if you have not done the problems, uh. you will find the pro going tough. And if you uh. go to chapter 2 and you find that you are not understanding it, come back to chapter 1, finish all the problems. Yes, yes. <laughs> very beautifully put. Very beautifully put. Uh, no, this is something uh, which is uh, very uh, important for uh, all of us, not just the students to really grasp this particular point of a uh, way to think. Uh, because also part of the training, what uh, we impart or also kind of participate has to do with the fact that uh, there is kind of an uh, active learning which has to be inculcated. Because what you learn is momentary at that time. How you learn probably would get uh, kind of percolated to, to the future. And that may add a lot more value to the way, way one uh, thinks about these things. Uh, so we also have a segment on the podcast where we request uh, uh, the guests to uh, talk in their uh, mother tongue. Uh, where you can uh, kind of give an overview of your motivation and your research interest. Uh, in a, a kind of a short segment where you can uh, tell our uh, uh, audience about uh, this particular uh, uh, thing. Uh, I request you to do that now. Okay. My name is Jasreet Hagai. I want to work on ICER Mohali, physics, and study. I was a fan of science and science. I was a fan of science. ਤਾਰਿਆਂ ਤੋਂ ਫਿਜ਼ਿਕਸ ਵੱਲ ਗਿਆ ਔਰ ਫਿਰ ਮੈਂ ਅੱਗੇ ਫਿਜ਼ਿਕਸ ਦੀ ਪੜ੍ਹਾਈ ਕੀਤੀ ਅ ਤੇ ਰਿਸਰਚ ਕੀਤੀ ਬਾਕੀ 
ਮੈਂ ਕਈ ਬੱਚਿਆਂ ਨੂੰ ਮਿਲਣਾ ਕਈ ਸਕੂਲ ਟੀਚਰਸ ਨੂੰ ਮਿਲਣਾ ਜਿਨ੍ਹਾਂ ਨੂੰ ਤਾਰਿਆਂ ਬਾਰੇ ਬ੍ਰਹਿਮੰਡ ਬਾਰੇ ਕਾਫੀ ਚੀਜ਼ਾਂ ਦੇ ਬਾਰੇ ਸ਼ੌਂਕ ਹੈਗਾ ਔਰ ਉਹ ਜਾਣਨਾ ਚਾਹੁੰਦੇ ਨੇ ਹੋਰ ਚੀਜ਼ਾਂ ਜਾਣਨਾ ਚਾਹੁੰਦੇ ਨੇ ਇਸ ਬਾਰੇ ਪੜ੍ਹਨਾ ਚਾਹੁੰਦੇ ਨੇ ਉਹਨਾਂ ਨੂੰ ਮੈਂ ਇਹ ਹੀ ਕਹਾਂਗਾ ਕਿ ਸ਼ੌਂਕ ਆਪਣਾ ਬਰਕਰਾਰ ਰੱਖੋ ਪੜ੍ਹਦੇ ਰਹੋ ਸਿੱਖਦੇ ਰਹੋ ਔਰ ਮੌਜਾਂ ਕਰੋ ਬਿਊਟੀਫੁਲ ਬਿਊਟੀਫੁਲ ਸੀ ਦੈਟਸ ਆਲਸੋ ਦ ਵਨ ਆਫ ਦ ਬਿਊਟੀਫੁਲ ਐਸਪੈਕਟਸ ਆਫ ਪੰਜਾਬੀ ਬਿਕੋਜ਼ ਪੀਪਲ ਹੂ ਕੈਨ ਅੰਡਰਸਟੈਂਡ ਹਿੰਦੀ ਵੁਡ ਬੀ ਏਬਲ ਟੂ ਆਲਸੋ ਅਪਰੀਸ਼ੀਏਟ ਥਿਸ ਬਿਊਟੀਫੁਲ ਲੈਂਗੁਏਜ ਵੈਰੀ ਵੈਰੀ ਬਿਊਟੀਫੁਲੀ ਪੁੱਟ ਐਂਡ ਸਕਸੀਨੈਂਟਲੀ ਕਾਈਂਡ ਆਫ ਸਮਰਾਈਜ਼ ਸੋ ਜਸਿਤ slightly opening it up and make it little little bit more lighter a scientist is not only about uh, doing science uh, the the person the human being actually would have varied interest i generally ask uh, the, uh, the people who kind of uh, appear on the podcast to also tell us what interests them in terms of art music in terms of uh, movies or any form of uh, kind of uh, extracurricular stuff uh, what what you are uh, motivated by uh, I like reading and uh, I have read a lot of stuff in uh, Hindi, Punjabi as well as uh, in English. Very I was nice. fortunate to have libraries around me from a very young age. Mm. And uh, it's interesting. So this is something which I realized later that many books which I was reading in Hindi and Punjabi were actually mm. translations of many of the classics. Ah. I got to, got to read the classics uh, in original or in English uh, much later or the full form much much later. Uh, in reading, I went from uh, fiction to science fiction back to fiction. Ah, and nice. then nice. a lot of uh, non-fiction. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the last uh, 15 years or so, I have developed more interest in reading about people uh, history analysis politics and uh, economic analysis and so on mm-hmm. i do some amount of reading on that i like watching movies mm-hmm. uh, in fact during my thesis writing my routine used to be start early in the morning work till around 5 pm uh-huh. and then i would uh, walk from ayuka to ond ond rent, yes <laughs> rent a video cassette come back watch a movie <laughs> okay uh, and read a book after that before going to uh-huh. sleep so every day i watched a movie in those two two and a half months when i was reading writing my wow thesis. wonderful <laughs> and, wonderful uh, yeah so i i really really enjoy watching movies i like uh, light tracks moderate tracks walking mm-hmm. uh, photography i listen to a lot of music Uh, oh, oh yeah so there's always something on uh, not in office but typically at home some, some music mm. or the other is always on nice And, nice uh, yeah my son is uh, wants to be a musician so let's see how oh, that turns out wonderful does he play any uh, instrument or is he, yeah, he is plays he guitar uh, he has uh-huh. learned uh, hindustani classical vocal and wonderful yeah fantastic fantastic Oh, beautiful beautiful that's very like nice cooking cooking <laughs> yeah. any any specific kind of uh, dish or lots of stuff i just keep experimenting so experimenting beautiful beautiful and because so, my uh, family members have survived all these years so it it shouldn't be all that <laughs> <laughs> wonderful wonderful so uh, 
just as we as we come towards almost to the conclude concluding part of this uh, uh, podcast uh, in what direction is your uh, work going uh, forward uh, uh, could you please let us know uh, what is the kind of thing you would want to pursue both in terms of research outreach and other things in research uh, the track on gravitational lensing is uh, going along nicely and uh, there are a few more odds and ends which we need to fix so i suspect mm. that next 3 4 years i'll be spending some time there there are some things related to formation and evolution of galaxies where i have ideas uh, mm. which at qualitative level seems to work very very well so i have to mm. see how quantitative i can make them or uh, whether it is uh, fruitful even to you know do an exposition in written form of uh, even the qualitative approaches so these are the two areas where i am definitely going to be spending some time and uh, in terms of uh, outreach i think at present uh, outreach is extremely important mm-hmm. that is my perception because a lot of misinformation especially about science is going around on social media absolutely and, absolutely uh, it is important that more of us go out interact with the younger students and essentially uh, guide them to more reliable sources mm-hmm. of uh, information because a large number of them are seriously interested in sciences science different yes. aspects of sciences and uh, hopefully we will be able to provide them an opportunity to grow and get to that stage and and, and we should see to it that they don't get uh, lost in the rabbit hole of misinformation mm. so outreach in that sense is very very important wonderful wonderful uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, uh, talking to uh, you jasjit uh, you know it's a, of course a learning experience and also uh, you know also the exposition and uh, the elaboration of points are so succinct and articulately uh, expressed so i'm uh, very thankful to you uh, for joining here on uh, pratidwani and uh, i hope uh, we we will also expand on this because pratidwani is also evolving as some kind of a seed for uh, uh, oral history kind of an archive uh, because uh, whatever we are doing it in in the uh, couple of hours or 3 hours will become a small seed for right. a more elaborate uh, uh, expansion of uh, a kind of uh, archives in terms of future uh, uh, historical kind of uh, exposition and i am hopeful that uh, these things will uh, help in future exploration of understanding how how science is done <laughs> yeah yeah no it's a wonderful thing that you have started i have been following at some level not listening to all the podcast but i have been following it at some level yeah 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 i nice. i hope uh, i hope also we we will do another one at some point of time where we also elaborate on specific aspects on yeah. on sp- particular topics and other things yes. that's yes. my plan I, going in future uh, to really expand on this ex- kind of biographical uh, aspect uh, and going more granular into into the details and uh, other things sounds sounds good so sounds yeah. wonderful this is uh, pratidwani where we try to humanize science and this time it was uh, just the Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pavan.